We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Packaday Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things green and gold. It is episode 739 here in season three of the Packaday Podcast. My name is Mike Wendland, and joining me this week, Tyler Grizzagork and Gage Bridgeford. And guys, different parts of the country, but how are you guys doing so far? Oh, it is blistering hot in Arizona. And we're at the middle of this this COVID outbreak and pandemic where uh, the second wave is hitting us harder than the first one did, so that's... But you know what? We're, we're surviving, and so that, that's something to look for, look forward to. Uh, for here in Indiana, we are uh, we just got done with a major heat wave. Like it was uh, over ninety degrees, I think, every day for like a, over a week. Uh, I know uh, out there in Arizona, that's nothing, but here, that's that's still pretty damn hot. Um, it kind of cut the last couple of days with some rain, thankfully. Um, similar to Tyler, COVID concerns are kind of ramping up because Fauci said that uh, a second wave could be hitting the Midwest, similar to how the Southeast got rocked really hard about a few weeks ago. So um, we're not seeing that a ton yet, but it is a possibility. So just everyone trying to stay safe out there, trying to stay sane and whatnot. Absolutely. And it's more of the same up here in Wisconsin as well, where it's, it's decently warm, but again, a mass mandate just went into effect as we're recording this. Yep, we had that happen. We had that happen like two weeks ago. Was when ours went into effect. So I feel you. And so again, for all everyone listening, stay safe, stay home if you can, and and we hope you listen to hope you guys listen to us for a long time yet to come. 
But but as we jump into the, our Packet A podcast portion of it, we do have some news in the opt out world as the as training camp's starting to open up. Uh, the most notable name that happened on Saturday as we record this was C.J. Mosley, linebacker for the New York Jets. He has opted out, and after missing most of last season after signing his big free agent contract, it'll be 2021 by the time Adam Gase gets a chance to ruin his career. Well, Adam Gase won't be the coach next year, so it's fine. But, but but again, the big big news there for C.J. Mosley. And Packers, as far as we know, still just Devin Funchess. Still a couple guys also on the COVID list with Mason Crosby, Jay Sternberger, and Trayvon Hester. But but a lot of the other guys are in Lambeau Field. They're getting pictures taken. Uh, Christian Kirksey had a picture released by the team's uh, official social media with him in his green and gold uniform. So it, it's good to see guys there. They're getting to know each other. They're getting getting the playbooks, getting ready to go. And, and, and hopefully everyone can, again, stay safe and we can have some football this fall. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I've, with each passing day and watching the MLB fail the way it is, uh, well, can't say it's failed yet, but it's definitely not. It's definitely not succeeding at, at, at its peak right now. Um, but watching the MLB kind of struggle to contain the COVID uh, outbreak within within their little group of players and uh, and organizations, it, it, the hope for an NFL season becomes more and more of a hope uh, rather than uh, an expectation at this point. So hopefully they can get it together, and hopefully the, the MLB is not what the NFL is going to be experiencing. Absolutely, and, and I, I think the NFL, I think Roger Goodell is going to make it pretty clear that the players have to be smarter than the, the MLB has been. Uh, ba- baseball, the players have not been accountable to themselves at all and their teammates. I think the NFL's, I think Goodell's hopefully learning from that, and, and football can, they can just be smarter than what we've seen in baseball so far. And then that's what's going to have to take in the fall, where there might be a higher risk as we get toward more traditional flu season. But, but with that being said, I think it's time for us to jump right into our regular topic for this week, and... A little over a week ago, Tyler, you put out a tweet asking who or what is the Packers career that you would choose to re- rewrite or revive if you could. And we got a lot of great responses. You compiled the list. We have 12 names that we're going to go through, break down, and kind of talk about memories, what we could revive about their careers, how it would affect the team, and how they could move forward going through it. We also have a few honorable mentions as well. So then, guys, might as well just jump right in with number 12 and be ready. There are a lot of wide receivers on this list because that's the Packers luck. And number 12, for those of you around my age, remember Javon Walker played with Green Bay from 2002 to 2005, a couple years with Denver, a year with Oakland. He had a massive year in 2004, but then tore his ACL in 05 after a holdout, got traded in 2006 and really after one year in Denver didn't do much after that. And so, Tyler, I'll go to you first. What do you remember about Javon Walker, and what puts him on this list? Well, I'll just start with my first immediate memory of Javon Walker, which is that that Brett Favre-Oakland Raiders game on Monday Night Football. Uh, him and Favre and Walker were just going off in that game, and I'll, I'll never forget that. I think that'll always be my lasting memory of Javon Walker. But at the same time, like you said, I kind of grew up watching Javon Walker. Uh, my first real... Um, exposure to football was in the late 90s, um, and specifically the Monday Night Football game against the Vikings with uh, the Antonio Freeman catch, and uh, he did what? And so, you know, ever since then, so starting at that point on, uh, Javon Walker is one of my first real, like, oh, I got to watch this guy start his NFL career with the Packers and then kind of go from there um, and become a star, because he was a star in Green Bay for a little bit. Um, and he was super talented out of Florida State. It was so much fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, I mean, he just, I think the, the knee injury in 2005, I think really hurt him. 
um, in the long run. I mean, he had a good year with the Broncos his first year there, but he just couldn't stay anywhere. He couldn't stay latched on anywhere after that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a shame. He's a really talented guy. He's a lot of fun to watch, but uh, ultimately just another one of those football careers, you know, what if, if he could stay healthy. Absolutely. And Gage, what are your memories of Javon? Uh, similar to Tyler, that game against Oakland was uh, pretty special. But just watching Javon Walker was the, such an exceptional receiver. That 4 season was special. He was just outstanding just week in, week out. Like after a quiet week one, he just exploded regularly. He had a 200-yard game, multiple 100-yard games. Loved watching him that year. I did a... Uh, an exercise with Dairyland Express a couple years ago where we were drafting like a single year of a player and um, everyone was picking like year number of Jordy and Greg Jennings and Antonio Freeman, Sterling Sharp and all this stuff. And I went with 04 Walker because I'm like, that dude had one of the best Packer receiving seasons that we've ever seen. He was, he scored 12 touchdowns that year, 1300 receiving yards. He was just exceptional all around. I loved watching him. Um, I hated seeing him leave because I wasn't quite old enough yet to understand like the business side of things. Because in '04 I was only I was still only nine years old, so I didn't get it. I was like, "Why is he leaving? What's going on? What's this holdout? Whatever." And then like now that I'm older, I get it. But it was just it was so great to watch, and it just he he was fun. He was fun to watch. I I loved watching every single week of his play. Well, absolutely. And Gage, I'm glad you brought up the Dairyland draft because two of the players on this list I actually drafted for my team in that exercise. Yeah, I couldn't remember if you were with us for that or not. Yeah, I was the weird guy who took Ted Hendricks in the first round. Hey, good pick. But yeah, same with same memories with me with Javon Walker. It's it's that Oakland it's that Oakland game. It's always going to be he he going up in double coverage multiple times to make some great catches, and it, it showed how talented he could be. The connection he had with Favre, that magical 04 year, and then the holdout. I think hurt him as well. He after all four, he held out for a contract, didn't show up. Only played one game before blowing out his knee. Had the year in Denver. He only played nineteen games his final three seasons. So he he had battled injuries, had some off field stuff that was really unfortunate and really tragic when he, you realize what actually happened to him. And and he that it, it's it's a weird talent waste in in a way where where Walker could have been so good. If he had stayed healthy, if maybe if he had held out, if he had stayed in Green Bay with Favre and then later Rodgers, it's wonder what he could have been over the, over the last 18 years. But Javon Walker at number 12, which kind of shows the strength of this list, that he's only at number 12. At number 11, you go to another wide receiver, and this is one I drafted in the Dairyland draft, and that's Robert Brooks. Played with the Packers from 92 to 98, spent a few games with Denver in 2000. Comeback player of the year once. He has a 99-year touchdown reception, the longest in league history. Super Bowl champion, and just the speed that he brought to the game, the explosiveness is is, is incredible. I remember my watching him. I remember that 99-year touchdown. I remember just seeing how dominant he could be in his, when he was healthy. And Robert Brooks was one of my favorite players. I had his jersey as a kid. My family loved watching him, and he was one of my favorite Packers during that during that Super Bowl run era. Uh, and Tyler, what what do you remember about Robert Brooks? Yeah, no, I think, you know, for me, Robert Brooks is, like we talked about Javon Walker, Javon Walker is one of the first players that I really had a vivid memory of watching. Um, Robert Brooks, I don't have a ton of memory watching just because that's really at the forefront of, of my football memory. But uh, I just remember him being a dynamic uh, returner, really. I think that's the one thing I truly remember about Robert Brooks is the ability that he had in the return game and the impact that he could have there. Um, I don't remember too much about him as a receiver. Obviously, he was part of that 
he didn't get to play in the Super Bowl that year, but he was part of that Super Bowl team um, in, in the late '90s there. And and, and you know. <sighs> There was just so many, so many talented players on that roster. As we go through, um, and even even the later Super Bowl in uh, 2011, 2010, um, those there was just so many talented players on those rosters who whose careers were ended, who, who were ended shortly, uh, were ended quickly, or however you want to look at it. So, uh, were cut short. It's probably the best way to say it. But uh, Robert Brooks is just a guy who was impactful every time he touched the ball, and I think that's the best way to describe him. Uh, similar to Tyler, uh, this is a little before my time. Like, let's see, Brooks was in the NFL for four seasons before I was even uh, alive, or he was in his fourth season when I was born. So I don't have a ton of memory, uh, like, of seeing him, but I've watched some film, and I've, uh, anytime I talk to people about his play throughout, just like when he was in a league and when he was active, was he was one part of that dynamic receiving, like, group that Green Bay had. Like, Favre was slinging it to everybody, and Brooks was the guy coming down with a lot of the time. 95, he had 1,497 receiving yards, 13 touchdowns, 102 catches. Those are all extreme numbers. Obviously, he had the 99-yard catch that year. So I knew that he didn't have a super long career, but I'm pretty sure I have a one of his cards over in my like collection I got for Christmas one year, uh, and I, I knew he was good. Uh, I knew he had played around that time, and I – I just knew that he was part of everything, but I didn't know that. I actually didn't know the Super Bowl fact until I had read it here, just because I had never really learned that. Yeah, it, it was really the injury to Brooks that led to Andre Risen coming in. Was Brooks not being around at that point? I remember he. I think he was the third jersey I ever got when I was a kid. I got Don Beebe and Dorsey Levens, and then I got up to Robert Brooks, and we just loved watching him. Even this '97 season, he only had 60 catches but over a thousand yards. And a guy where he relied so much on his athleticism, the speed that he lost, and that led to back issues. He's also the greatest, probably recording artist in Packers history. Of course, with his landmark album, Jump. And and you gotta love Jump in the Sands, and I kinda wish they would play that more over the loudspeakers at Lambeau. But that, because that was such a fun little thing, but with Robert Brooks, it's, when you think of some of the names we're gonna have on this list later, if they would have joined Robert Brooks and Freeman and and Keith Jackson and Chamura and all the weapons they had, how they they I think they win in '97. But sadly, that wasn't to be, and we'll get to some of those names later on. And as we move on to number ten, we get to a, a name that modern Packers fans will remember, and that's of course Sam Shields, the corner from 2010 to 2016 after being undrafted out of Miami. Played, sat out a year, played with the Rams in 2018. 80 games, 18 interceptions. Won the Super Bowl as a rookie. Was a key player in those playoff games, especially in that NFC title game. Uh, but, but again, concussions kind of wrecked him. But when he, when he was healthy and when he developed, he was the pride of Joe Witt Jr.'s work as a secondary coach. So what Sam Shields brought to the team with his speed and his instincts, was a was one of the better finds that Ted Thompson ever had as a, as a draft guy. Uh, and, and Gage, we'll go to you first this time. What are your thoughts on on Sam Shields? Sam Shields, I just remember when he was he had finished up his first contract and he was getting ready to get the extension or he was going to hit free agency. And I was sitting around all night watching my phone just to see if he was going to get his extension or if he was going to be or what was going to happen. I was sitting there and I was like, "He's they got to extend him. They got to extend him because they needed, they had to need a corner. And I loved his length 
for like he was only 5'11, but he played longer than that. I loved his speed to stick with those big guys. He never, like anytime we, obviously that was the peak Calvin Johnson years. So you got to see him and Calvin battle on a weekly basis. And it was, and he stuck with him. Like every time that like, he's like, I got no problem. I got him. I got him. He, that's, and that's who he matched up with all the time. Concussions are just such an unfortunate issue with the sport that we watch and we're, we're covering, but it, it just seemed like if whenever he was on the field, he was making plays for somebody. Yeah. And I remember watching uh, him part of those, those, those teams in the early 2010s, you know, some of the better Packer teams that we've had, had the pleasure of witnessing. And he was just like, like you guys are talking, was just sticky. Like you just throw him on the number one receiver, say, Hey, you need you to cover him. Um, you know, he wasn't the best all around corner, but he definitely was going to get the job done. He, he was just there. He made the big plays when you needed it. Sam Shields is just one of those staples of the Packers era. Um, and it was unfortunate, uh, the way that the concussions fell for him, but he was a major proponent to the success that they had then and then the, the success that they would continue to have later on. Um, just given the way that he kind of went about his business and stuff. So, uh, Sam Shields is definitely a very, a very sad case, but I think, you know, he made a comeback with the Rams last year and that was really exciting to see. It was, I didn't care that he was playing for the Rams. I just, I was happy for Sam Shields. Um, I just didn't want him to get hurt. I think he played, he played in all 16 games, I think last year or 2018, I'm sorry, 2018. But, um, yeah, in 2018, he played all 16 games, but I think he came with a, he came away with a pick as well. Um, yeah, one pick, 22 return yeah. yards. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he kind of made a little bit of a comeback. Um, I, it sounds like that was like his little, like, I did it and now I'm kind of done. I haven't heard much from Sam Shields since, but, um, yeah, definitely sad to see him kind of have his career derailed early. Uh, uh, another, you know, case of head injuries that kind of took his career and took it down an alternate path than what we probably thought it was going to be. Absolutely, and I think my biggest memory of Sam would be it was a, it was his rookie year. I think it was the last regular season game against the Bears. Uh, either that or it was the playoff game where Rodgers threw a pick, but the next play, Cutler tried to go to the end zone, and Sam Shields got position on Johnny Knox, if you remember that name, and and got the pick right back, and it completely flew him at him, and it gave the Packers the juice to go all the way after that. And and, and Tyler, like you said, he made he made all the big plays at the right times. And he he was extremely clutch. He made he had some incredible deflections uh, in his last season when he uh, his last season with the Packers against Jacksonville. Like he was a guy where if if Jair Alexander can become what Sam Shields was consistently, I'm thrilled. If and if we had those two guys together, that is as fast and as as crazy athletic of a quarterback duo that ever would have been. But 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 Sam Shields, what a career he had! What a what a story he was as an undrafted guy who didn't play defense in college, and and found his way in the NFL. It's it was it was such fun and and again cut way too short. And now as we move on to number nine, talking about cutting way too short, this guy played only a few games, and that's Jonathan Franklin, the running back, fourth round pick out of UCLA in 2013. He was an All American, All Pac 12, ran a four four forty. He had a 100-yard game in week three, but however, in week 12, he had a neck injury that ended him. But he, but he stayed with the team, took an internship in, in public relations and the outreach, ended up going to, I think he went back to UCLA afterwards. And when he was drafted, I remember a lot of people were, me included, were very, very excited for what he could do with him and Eddie Lacy. It seemed like the Packers' backfield was set. Who would have thought it would take until Jones and Williams come in to do the same thing? that we would see that running back duo come in and be a thunder and lightning combo. 
Uh, in just a short time, Tyler, what do you what do you remember from Jonathan Franklin? I was so stoked the Packers drafted Jonathan Franklin that year. I I just remember watching him at UCLA. I thought he was like I thought he was such a good running back. He was explosive. He was strong. I thought he could really be something special in the NFL. Even though he ended up being a fourth round pick, maybe my draft evaluation skills were a little bit off. You know, I was only what maybe seventeen, eighteen at the time, but. Um, I was super excited for him. Um, unfortunately, his career was cut short. I was actually uh, quite surprised to see his name mentioned so many times in the, the thread that I put up. Um, I didn't think that there was that much love for Jonathan Franklin, but I, it, it looks like everybody else was excited for him as well. I mean, it, the prospect of him with Eddie Lacy was just a lot of fun to think about. Um, unfortunately, both both running backs ended up kind of flaming out. Uh, unfortunately for one of them, it was an injury, but... Uh, yeah, no, I was just super excited for him coming out of UCLA, and I was super excited to see what he could do uh, with Aaron Rodgers in that offense at the time. I had uh, I had some similar thoughts. Uh, I didn't obviously we didn't get to see a ton of him on the field like we did with some of the other guys we've mentioned to this point, but I really loved like that Cincinnati game. Obviously, he was thrust in there due to injury, but when the guy was on the field, he made plays. He averaged over seven yards per attempt, nearly eight yards per attempt in that game. He had a little bit of receiving ability to him. We could use him in the return game, which my entire life, I don't know if we've ever had a good return guy. Like, we had Trevor Davis, who was a good return guy, but then that lar- like returns were largely eliminated, and he just couldn't stay on as a receiver. Um, and we had Corin Robinson for, like, six games, I think. I think he was here for a full year, but I wasn't really sure. He didn't make much of an impact. But Franklin, Cobb guy. Yeah, Randall Cobb, but... Again, he but so he was a return guy for a brief time as a rookie, and then once he was a full time receiver, they were like, "Yeah, maybe not the best idea." But I loved getting to see a guy like Franklin, who he wasn't the biggest guy around, but he was well built, five ten, two oh five. He was really powerful. He was a powerful back for his stature, and he could he could run some people over when the opportunity came. But it was just it was so unfortunate, and I think we mentioned it on the pod recently when we were talking about like our favorite Packer memories and stuff, talking about like Terrence Murphy and it, I kind of got like flashback vibes to him. Like he had only played a few games and then crazy neck injury happens and it's, it's over and it just, it happens so fast. Yeah. I remember when that injury happened, I saw it happen and I got flashbacks to a safety that we're going to bring up much higher on this list. Yes, we and, are. Because it looked very similar. Just you see the ha- the helmet hit, and you kind of see it collapse, and it just it's it's a scary moment. And I know I think a lot of us thought that Franklin would would maybe miss the rest of the year, but he could be able to come back afterwards. But then it came out later that he was has forced to retire. And and again, good on the team for helping him transition out of out of playing and into the front office and doing outreach and. And it's good to see him still involved in in, in athletics. Still, it's it, it's it's a great story for Franklin, and and it's man. There's so many stories of these guys that that we, that we miss them so terribly as players. As we continue, number eight, and this cornerback Tim Lewis only played for three plus seasons, eighty three to eighty six, fifty one games. But in those fifty one games, he had sixteen interceptions, including a ninety nine yard touchdown return which is the team record. Also forced three fumbles, recovered one. Played on the right side during those 80s teams when there wasn't much of a defense in Green Bay, but he was one of the bright spots. He was seen as one of the up-and-coming corners in the NFL before a, a neck injury ended his career in 1986. However, then he went into coaching at, at Texas A&M. He was a coach in the XFL recently in the St. Louis Battlehawks. And he, I know he's still coaching around, and he, he became a pretty highly regarded coach, but 
he, there's the other guy I took in my Dairyland draft team. I took Tim Lewis as my as one of my top corners. But a guy where, again, I know us are alive during this time, but I watched enough of that old tape to realize this guy was a playmaker. He was, he was kind of Sam Shields before Sam Shields here. He he had a nose for the football, as the 16 picks prove. It, was, it ended up being 5-7-4 and four in his first three seasons in 16 games each. So that, that those numbers are just outstanding. And I know, I know there's, you guys don't know too much, but Tyler, have you read anything? Have you watched any stuff with Tim Lewis? Unfortunately, he's one of the only players on this list I haven't seen anything on. Um, I haven't watched him at all, but I mean, 16 interceptions in 51 games, I think says everything. That's a pretty, that's a pretty awesome rate of return in terms of what you're looking for in a, in a corner and a playmaker. Uh, if somebody's doing that nowadays, they're one of the top corners in the NFL if they have 16 interceptions in 51 games. So um, that's a really impressive number, and I, it makes me want to go dig into Tim Lewis a little bit more and kind of see what he was all about. Uh, similar to Tyler, I don't really – I haven't watched any of them. Um, I'm just box score scouting here. But if you – when you say – like when you say that many interceptions in that short of a time span, like Sam Shields, yes, uh, but I get Casey Hayward vibes because Casey Hayward, when he first joined in the league, he was – he had a nose for the football that was crazy. He was always making plays on it, and and that's what – and that's what this guy was doing here. 16 picks, 51 games. That means every three weeks he's getting you a pick of some kind. So – to have a guy with that kind of ball production on one half of your field, that's that's going to make quarterbacks think twice about throwing in that direction, especially when throwing was not nearly as common as it is now. So he was doing it on a lot less opportunities, which is – it just – it sucks to see when – because we – obviously we've already previewed one other guy on this list that's got a neck injury that cut his career short. We just talked about Jonathan Franklin. I mentioned – Terrence Murphy, all these guys' neck injuries. It's just, it's such a freak thing that happens. And it sucks to see a guy who's got a promising career going and it's all gone. No, absolutely. And, and even going back to those 80 teams, from what I've read and what I've seen, again, the defense was pretty bad during those years. But you had James Lofton and Lynn Dickey on offense. And so you had some explosive weapons. So anytime you got a pick, that opens up where you could take a shot to James Lofton. So having Tim Lewis in there helped that team dramatically, and him going out in 86 hurt them for a few years until they could get Holmgren in and help change the team around again because Forrest Greg Lindy and Fonny didn't get the job done as coaches. But moving on to number seven, we stay back in the time period, and that's halfback Eddie Lee Ivory. 79-86 to 86 in Green Bay, played 72 games, starting 50, just under 3,000 yards rushing, over 1,600 yards receiving, but again, knee injuries did him, and I remember reading uh, in Packers by the Numbers, a, a great book that breaks down by jersey number some all-time players from back in 2004-05 in that area. But Ivory was the number 40 chapter. Uh, but a guy tore out the same knee twice, one of them in the preseason as a rookie, so he never really got his rookie season off the ground, came in with a lot of hype after being the 15th pick, and eventually had some off-field stuff, injuries, again, the knee injuries, but he was a guy where... Again, if, if healthy, he could have been the successor to John Brockington leading into that 80s, maybe a potential 80s renaissance, but an inability to stay on the field really hurt Eddie Lee. And a lot of older fans will probably remember that name and, and think very fondly of what he could have been and the and what he what the effort he put on when he was able to be on the field. Uh, what do you guys, what do you guys read or what have you, have you seen anything with Eddie Lee? 
this was another new name to me. Uh, I'll be honest. I mean, but once I started digging in, I was really excited. I was like, wow, this guy, this guy really did have a ton of potential. And I really started reading some of the, some of the testimonials to Adili Ivory. And, you know, for those who don't know, he actually ended up being in the Georgia Tech Hall of Fame, I think. So, uh, he was an, he was an eighth place for Heisman voting the year he was drafted. Uh, he was APL American that year. There was just a ton of promise there and a ton of talent. And, and you look through, uh, you look through the different years, um, that he was in the league. He ended up being in the league for, for eight years, eight seasons. And, um, ultimately, you know, there is a couple of really good years in there for him. I think there's a one year he had over 200 carries. That was, uh, that was probably the highlight of his career. And that's probably the one where everybody's like, yeah, he was going to actually be good in the NFL. So, um, again, again, another guy I need to go back and actually watch and just see how talented he was on film. Uh, just looking through his box score here, w- one big thing that I'm noticing that's a difference between then and now is, so he, like you said, he stuck around for eight seasons, but think about this. He played 16 games once, 15 games once, and then 10, 12, and then everything else was nine or less. Can you imagine if a player had a career like that now? Like in their first three seasons, they play a combined two games. Like they had 16 games in the middle, but other than that, it's one and one. That's just, that's kind of crazy to think, would he even get a shot for all of those remaining five years in today's NFL? And I just think that that shows the difference that like the potential was there and everyone knew it. So they're like, we're going to keep trying to take a shot on this guy. And he stuck around for two full contracts. He always struggled with health. Never played like every and every time he was on the field after that first year, he was he was starting. He started sixteen games, started the one game he was there for nine, eight again. So when he was on the field, he was the starter. So the talent was there. He was just struggled to just be out there. My only my only retort to that, real quick, is Darius Geis. Darius Geis is that same player right now, not getting a ton of actual playing time, but coming in and still probably has a, a stranglehold on the starting job in Washington. Um, you Even know, though they have like twelve running backs on the roster. Oh yeah, okay. Well, we'll get into fantasy a different time, but okay. yes. <laughs> but no, I mean that's that's you know, but that's the argument here is yeah, I don't think it's very common. It probably wouldn't happen very often, but I think that you know, in the end, talent's going to prevail. And the Packers spent the 15th overall pick on this running back, obviously a very talented guy. I think that's the only reason you would ever get a guy like that with so many chances. Um, and so it's something definitely worth considering. It's probably not very common, but that just shows how talented he was. I think. Yeah, I mean, speaking to that, this year has probably got to be the make-or-break point for guys. Like, oh, like, if he, yeah. like if he deals with another serious knee injury, there's no way. Or at least Washington's going to get rid of him. But right. we can move on to the next one. <laughs> well, Leslie, and I guess before you, we leave Eddie Lee, you, you brought up the 16 games. That was his second year. He had 830 yards on 200 carries. But the year before, he blew out his knee in his first game. The year after, he blew out his knee in his first game. And at that kind of real, and and that was a point where you you started to feel from what I've read from from people I know who were around watching it then you started to one feel feel bad and then two wonder if he was ever going to be healthy enough to be Eddie Lee Ivory the guy who was going to come in from Georgia Tech and help save the offense and unfortunately he never could quite do that but he never averaged less than three and a half yards per carry including multiple seasons of over five one over uh, his last year he ended up uh, in only four carries averaging over six yards so he was a guy where he was productive, but again, couldn't stay healthy. Moving on to number six, we get another running back, kind of on the opposite end, and that's Eddie Lacy. Uh, 2013 to 2016, year 2017 with Seattle. 51 starts in his five seasons with the Packers, over 3,600 3, rushing yards, 23 touchdowns, six receiving touchdowns, was rookie of the year, made it to a Pro Bowl. 
but at, we all know the story of Eddie Lacy. It, it was he couldn't stay in shape, and it, it's unfortunate because when he was healthy and when he was when he was full go, he was so much fun, and he was a bona fide weapon, one of the best weapons Aaron Rodgers probably ever had. And when he when he was out there, uh, what do you guys remember from from Eddie? Spin move, spin move, spin move. I loved. <laughs> he just ran over people and then he'd spin around them. That, that it was so much fun to watch. Uh, he's. I think of all the running backs outside of Amon Green, and maybe now Aaron Jones is probably approaching that territory. Eddie Lacy was just one of the most fun running backs to watch because he, he would meet guys in the hole. You know, he'd run him over, he'd lower his shoulder, run him over, and the next thing you know, he's just spinning around guys on the perimeter. Like it, it was just, it was kind of crazy to watch. Um, it's unfortunate he was unable to stay in shape, but um, you know, I'll always remember him as as part of those those highly successful te- highly successful teams in the early 2010s, uh, early to mid 2010s, I should say. So, um, yeah, it's a shame you couldn't stay healthy, but it's, uh, it's like amazing. Tyler said. Uh, I was, I was going to say, like Tyler said, that spin move was filthy. Like I always loved getting to see him on the edge, and I was like, they're going to over pursue, and he's going to spin hard, and they're going to go flying past him. And that's what happened every single time and it was also the same thing every year during the offseason is oh he's in what he's in shape again he got on this diet and he's in shape he's coming in at blank weight which is where they want him to be and he's going to be great and then just it was it was never it was never what you wanted well absolutely i just remember when he came in i wanted money ball in that draft but obviously Lacey was the one who was picked after ball got taken by denver but wait you think of those alabama running backs they win mark ingram trent richardson Eddie Lacy, T.J. Yeldon, and Derrick Henry all in a row at Alabama. That is a bunch of guys who were top two round picks in a row from one spot. But yeah, it's the spin move, and it's it's that comeback in Dallas for me with Eddie Lacy, the the Matt the Matt Flynn miracle. Because uh, remember they were down big at half in the first place. I can have Lacy rattles off a sixty yard run, and that kind of got everything going. And when when he was when he was dialed in, you had the spin. He would run you over. He also had some decent moves after a catch. Uh, when Rodgers had that six touchdowns against the Bears in the first half, Lacey had the last one on a screen, or one of the fifth one on a, on a screen where he ran across the field for 40 yards and got in. Yeah, because so, didn't so, he say he wanted his nickname to be Moss because, like, he wanted to be known as, like, the new Randy Moss because of his ability to catch? I don't know how that... I thought I read that somewhere at some point in time because he came in after working on his receiving game during an offseason one year. I think heading into that second year of his where he caught 42 balls, four touchdowns. And I could have sworn I remember that. I'll have to I'll have to search. but well, Absolutely. But either, but either way, also kudos to Eddie for gutting out. He played through injury as well. He Obviously staying in shape with issue, but... The, I think it was the playoff game, the 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 Jeff Janis game. I think he played through it in, through a pretty big injury, but still was able to be fairly productive in that. If I if I remember right, yeah, he was one of the toughest running backs that I had the opportunity to watch uh, play during that span of time. So um, he's probably still one of the toughest running backs I've had the opportunity to watch. Period. But um, he, I mean, he was always battling injuries. It seemed like probably because of the way he ran, which which is awesome. I mean. That's the type of running back you need. If you have a guy who's going to run physically, they need to be tough and be able to tough those types of things out. But, um, yeah, no, t- tough running back. He's just a lot of fun to watch. That unfortunate that uh, he was able to stay healthy. But Absolutely. Well, now we climb into the top five of our 12 players who we, if we could revive or redo their careers. And 
if you're Packers fans who know about the draft and you're going to be ready to start cursing, maybe fast forward a few minutes because we're going to talk about Tony Mandrich now. 89-92 to in Green Bay, 96-98 with the Colts after he had a stint in rehab, came back. Uh, picked second overall in 1989, right ahead of Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, Deion Sanders, along with Steve Atwater, Eric Metcalf, and Andre Rising in the draft as well. Oh boy, what could have been? Uh, but, but Mandrich, I don't blame the Packers for the pick. Everyone saw him as the number two player. He was a consensus pick. He was a freak. He, he's on Sports Illustrated as the incredible bulk. Little did people know at the time he was steroided out of his mind to the point where he was cheating on drug tests and, and he just could not play in the NFL. He didn't have, he was so freakish at Michigan State. I watched his college film a couple times. He was just an animal, but he didn't have the technique. He couldn't use his hands. He couldn't, he couldn't slide. And one of my favorite stories reading about it, again, this isn't Packers by the numbers, was Mike Golick was telling a story when he was in Philly and he was lined up next to Reggie White. And whenever they played the Packers, out of a stance, he would look to make sure he didn't step on Mandridge because Reggie had already thrown him to the ground. So it was, it was, I have to look down and make sure I don't step on this guy on my way down, my way to the quarterback. And it, it kind of shows the disaster that the pick ended up being. But good, but on the brighter side, good on Tony Mandridge for getting himself together, having a couple good years with the Colts, and, and finally coming clean on what, what he did, what happened, and eventually, finding his way back to living living a good life. So, again, props to manage on that. But, guys, dive in. He ran a faster 40 than Aaron Rodgers. Fun fact. 4.65. 4.65, which is faster than Aaron Rodgers. That's pretty nutty. Um, like, I know Rodgers wasn't exactly blazing, but 4.71 is not bad. But this guy's 330 pounds, ran 4.65. Uh I think about this every year around draft season because obviously there's the every year there's the biggest draft bust of all time and Mandarich is always top top three depending on like the Jamarcus Russell and uh, Ryan Leaf hate that particular year, um, but it makes sense to draft him like you said at in college like he was raw like technique wise but he just demolished everyone in front of him and if he wasn't steroided up and he could figure out the technique he would have been he would have been in line to be one of the next best tackles in the NFL ever just because of his freakish size his strength and all that other stuff um but it just sucks to see who went after him Barry Sanders would have been great next to Brett uh Derek Thomas would have helped on the defensive side of the ball Deion Sanders is obviously just one of the flashiest biggest playmakers of all time Steve Atwater Eric Metcalf Andre Risen all great playmakers in their own right Mandridge makes sense as the pick it just sucks what happened yeah, and I mean, that's what, we talk about this every time the draft comes around, but draft picks are just lottery tickets, and you know, the higher the draft pick, the higher the chances that that pick is going to be better, but they're just lottery tickets, you know, true and through, and honestly, you know, you can only do so much to evaluate a player, and I don't know how much you can predict a guy getting into steroids and, and unfortunately succumbing to painkillers and a bunch of other things that uh, that uh, actually Tony Mandrich got into, but... Uh, if you actually want to read about it, there is actually a really good book out there. I've read excerpts from it. I haven't read the whole thing, but uh, he did chronicle his entire adventure, and I think it's probably worth a read. Um, I, I want to read it, the entire thing myself, but uh, the little bits that I've read, it's really insightful, and he's really honest in, in, in everything that happened during his time from leaving Michigan State up until retiring in 1998 with the Colts. Um, 
but uh, you know, funny enough, he retired in 1998, not due to anything else that the NFL gave him a suspension or anything like that. He ended up retiring due to a shoulder injury. Um, he honestly made a comeback. He went to rehab, as Mike mentioned, in between his stint with the Packers in '92. Uh, that was his final year, and then his first year with the Colts in '96. But um, just yeah, don't blame the Packers at all for the pick. I mean, there's it really sucks when you start looking back. Hindsight's 2020, but it really sucks when you start looking back at some of the names that they could have had in Green Bay. Just imagining Brett Favre and Barry Sanders together is probably one of the dreamier situations that I probably could have ever imagined. Um, but it's uh, it's sad, but you know what? It, it is. It's what it is. What it is. It kind of shaped Packers history from that point on. So, well, and even with that draft, I think it was a coin or a, either a coin flip or a tiebreaker that caught that gave them the number two. Dallas had number one. They took Troy Aikman in that draft. So when Aikman, Mandrich, Sanders, Thomas, Sanders. So that's quite the top five, but yeah, he ended up, when he came back, he played guard, and that seemed for a guy of his size and his strength, even after he had stopped using using uh, performance enhancers, as a fit with a guy that big and strong, guard was a good fit for him, but he just, he was drafted to be a tackle, he was, the, the, there's rumors that he was the reason why they talked about the pancake block, because he was running guys over at Michigan State every play, but again, a big bust, but again, what could have been, but Again, I think all of us, good on Mandrich for able to turn himself around and, and, and eventually go out on his own terms uh, with his time in Indy. But you can't, you can't, you, every draft season, like you said, we're going to ask the question, what could have been? And and until Ryan Leaf, he was the biggest shot bust of all time. And I doubt there's any question about it. But now we get to our top four, and these are all names that everyone's going to be very familiar with. And we'll start with B.J. Raji. 2009-2015, 91 games, 11 sacks, 10 Pass deflections and a, one of the big greatest pick sixes of all time when he picked off the legendary Caleb Haney in the NFC title game. But the ninth pick in 2009, I actually got that one right when I did a mock draft that year. The same year they took Clay Matthews when they traded back in. Pro one, one year in the Pro Bowl, first time all NFC. But, uh, after 2015, he announced a hiatus in March of 2016. He's t- to take care of his, his ailing mother and I think grandmother as well. He eventually never came back in. He really kind of dropped off the map. We don't. No one ever really talked to him afterwards. He never was involved with football again. But when when the freezer was healthy, that defensive line with him and Jenkins and Pickett, they were good. They were they were linchpins of why that Dom Capers defense worked early on. You, you he couldn't Capers would have been fired a lot earlier if it wasn't for BJ Raji. Oh, 100%. He was an anchor of that defense for, for a couple of years. It took him a couple of years to get on, but then when he hit that stride in years three, four, uh, my goodness, he was, he was so good. And th- that pick six against the Bears in that championship game, um, that's one of my favorite plays of all time, honestly. And I feel like we should have invited Maggie Loney on just for this, just for this little bit, uh, just so she could come on and, uh, spout good words about BJ Raji. But, um, no, it, it, one of the sadder, um, one of the sadder retirements is because I feel like there was so much more left in the tank for BJ Raji, but he had to do what he had to do. I uh, gotta respect that. Um, but fun story, I did buy his jersey immediately after that pick six. The next day I was on the internet, um, buying that jersey. It came in the mail a couple weeks later. Uh, got it right before the Super Bowl. So, uh, it was, it was a good time. Um, sad he retired early, but he had to do what he had to do. Wish he would have come back, but. Uh, it's fun. The, mem- the memories are still really good. Absolutely. That guy, situational awareness is great. That guy was legitimately the linchpin of the 3-4 switch because that was when they switched to the 3-4 and he fit that nose tackle 
like spot part to a T. He was the big guy. He was he was big, could eat up blockers, and you just you weren't going to see you weren't going to see anybody else fit in that spot better than he was. He was the he was Vince Wilfork for like who who had dominated for the Patriots at that spot forever. He didn't ever put up like crazy sack numbers. He had that six and a half sack season year two, but other than that, he was always just eight of blocks, freed up space for everybody behind him to funnel towards the towards the ball, and it was. It was always fun to watch him. He always looked like he was having fun out there. The freezer dance was great. Um, you, I still see it generally at least once a week on my timeline from somebody, Maggie, or Andy, or anybody else sharing it. Um, yeah, it sucks to see him go out at after his age 29 season. He still had probably a few years left in the tank, but um, you got to do what you got to do. You got to take care of your family, and uh, that's what the decision he made. Well, and on that note, too, you know, he didn't only play nose tackle – which goes to speak to his talent. He could slide, like he could slide to different positions along the defensive front. Just made him that much more valuable. And I think that was before the NFL truly valued versatility at those different positions. Um, but because now that's a standard, you have to have guys you can play different positions. Uh, BJ Raji was doing it at a high level before it was really a thing. Well, absolutely, yeah. The Capers rotated Raji and Pickett between basically left end and nose for multiple years in a row. And Pickett might be one of the most underrated Packers of the past. 20 years, but with, with Raji, everyone knows, show me what you got, Raji. Everyone remembers that commercial, but you're, Tyler, you made the point earlier, hell, he just barely scratched the surface. Like, after he, 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 with, what he could have been is what Kenny Clark, I think, is now. Uh, Raji had, had that type of talent, but the system he was in was a little different compared to what, what it is now with under Mike Patton, what they, what he had under Capers, but what he, what he was when he was in, he was great in, and again, good for him, and that he left on his terms. He took, he's taking care of his family, and and he seems to have no regrets. So again, props to Raji. But again, what could have been if he, if maybe if they had him, Kenny Clark now, that would have been some special fronts in ninety and ninety seven together. Now we get to the top three, and these are all injury related. And they're actually all neck injury related. Uh, we'll start with Jermichael Finley at number three, twenty eight, two thousand eight to twenty thirteen, is seventy games. Just under 3,000 yards, under 223 receptions. A really young third-round pick out of Texas. I think he was 20 when he got drafted. And he was a guy, when 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 they figured out how to use him late that rookie season and, this, and the second season, he was a dino. He was probably the biggest weapon on the team. More, He wasn't as consistent as guys like Driver and Jennings, but Finley was so such a mismatch every time he was out there. And that first playoff game that... that wild game at Arizona, that overtime game. He was such a weapon in that game. That, that was kind of his coming out party. But unfortunately in 2013, to, to, I think it was Deshaun Gibson who hit him and against Cleveland. He had a bruised spinal cord and he never, he tried to come back a couple times, but he was never able to come back and officially retired in 2015. But it's amazing that was seven years ago that Finley was done. But it's it's hard to not picture the shark fin first down or the year of the takeover catch race that he had. Uh, he was a character. He was a great, he was, he was, and they're still trying to replace him to this day at tight end. I think if he came out in the draft now, he would be a first round pick. Like if he was like, not in, like at his age, like if he came out at the age of 20, I think that he, because he's what you're looking for in a modern tight end. Like he's a decent blocker, but he's a complete mismatch receiving. At 6'4", 240 pounds, you just, you can't, 
you couldn't defend him. When he was on and Rodgers and him were clicking together, you just there's nobody on the field you can match him up with because safeties are going to get beat speed-wise. Corners are too small. Linebackers are too small, and they're not fast enough. The guy just – I wish he would have been on the field more. I think that if he had been on the field more in that 2010 season, who knows how dominant they would have been that year. Like they wouldn't have – they probably wouldn't have even been a wild-card team just because he – the difference that he made for that team was just incredible. It's so true though. He, he was one of those, he was one of those players, uh, that really set the precedent for how future players were going to be used. Because Jermichael Finley coming out of Texas at the time was such an athlete, such an athlete that you were just wondering, how are they going to use him? What were they going to do? And then eventually they just kind of threw him a tight end and they really said, just run down the middle of the field and make catches. And that's what he did. And that's what the Packers wanted Jimmy Graham to do, but that he wasn't able to do. That's what they've wanted other tight ends to do. Jared Cook was probably the closest thing that the Packers have had to Jermichael Finley since Jermichael Finley. Um, the, the NFL has since shifted to this dynamic of just super, super athletes at the tight end possession. Um, there's only a couple who can really do everything, i.e. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, uh, Zach Ertz, who can, who can run and block and catch and do everything. But, Jermichael Finley would be one of the top tight ends in the NFL today if he were, like, like Gage was saying, if he came out in the draft, he'd be one of the top targets because he'd be such a weapon for teams to use. Um, imagine him in Matt LaFleur's offense as a move tight end in Jay Sternberger's role. Like, it, the potential would be so, so tremendous. It'd be so exciting to think about. Um, just another, another unfortunate end to his career with, uh, dealing with the spinal cord injury and, um, the head injuries and such. So, uh, so exciting to think about. He was a lot of fun to watch when he was on the field. Um, but yeah, Jermichael Finley is one of, definitely one of my favorite, favorite Packers, I think, um, to watch play. Yeah, it's not often you, a guy makes the number 88 look really small. And, and Finley did that. And he's still only 33 now. So he, if he had been healthy, he probably would still be playing. And if he was still in Green Bay at, at even at age 33, that athleticism was still, was still there. I saw him working, videos of him working out a couple years ago. He was coaching football, coaching his kids. He's still, he's still working out. He's still in shape, but just neck and head injuries are so dangerous. But looking at like the, the three years where he was healthy, 2009, 670 yards. 2011, 767 yards. 2012, 667 yards. So we had three years of 650 yards or more. In this offense, in the, in the McCarthy offense. So it's, and he'd be, for a couple of years, he was the focal point of that offense. He was the first read for Aaron Rodgers. And like he had 90 targets a year, one year, 87 his last full season. Like he, he was a guy where when you needed that play, he was going to make it. He had his issues with drops every now and then, but he was, he was the ultimate mismatch tight end weapon that, like Tyler said, he, he helped pave the way for a lot of these guys here now, especially younger guys who come in. And and he grew up in Green Bay. He matured in Green Bay. He became synonymous with this offense for a while. And and yeah, then when that happened, I remember I was pretty broken up when he went down because I was 22 at the time. So I thought he, I, I was pretty upset that a guy my age had his career over, just like that. And no, one he, last thing I want to mention about him before I forget about it. So do you guys know the Players Tribune, the thing Derek Jeter started? Yeah. Have you ever read the story that Jermichael yeah. Finley did on there about uh, – if so for those of you listening, if you haven't read that before, uh, Jermichael Finley talked about how he had been dealing with CTE uh, after he le- after he left the NFL. He was, like, forgetting where stuff was and uh, other and among other symptoms. But um, – and he talks about how he kind of recovered from that, how his wife really supported him. And it's just – it's a really good read if you have, like, 10, 15 minutes of your time. 
Um, go search it, find it. You can find it anywhere. Like, just Google it. Um, but yeah, I just want to make sure that that got brought up because it was a really good story to see. Because like, obviously, he kept trying to come back and he just couldn't quite get back because he couldn't quite be healthy enough. But um, it was good to see that he was able to get kind of some closure on some stuff in life and really progress forward after. Whereas we've seen plenty of guys who just can't quite make that transition to civilian life effectively, for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that article was 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 a tough but a very good read. And it was good to see a guy that open about what he went through after the injuries and after having to leave the game. And yeah, so it's, it, it, I, I agree with Gage. Everyone go check it out, read it. It's, and just read, just, you're going to go down the player, you're going to go down a rabbit hole in the player tribune. So just carve out a few hours and we'll talk to you later about it. Yeah. But cause that, that website is incredible and it's great to hear players firsthand experiences. But now we got to move on to our top two guys who careers we wish we could rework or revive. And this one hurts me the most because this is one where I think all of us, we were at that age where we remember. And my favorite this player. Guy, <laughs> one of mine as well. And this guy is a Hall of Fame track. I will maintain if he is healthy, the Packers repeat in 2011. And that's Nick Collins. Uh, 2005 to 2011, 95 games, 21 interceptions, four touchdowns, 67 pass deflections, six forced fumbles, three times uh, all second team all pro, Packer Hall of Famer. Everyone remembers the pick six in the Super Bowl and and the celebration that got a penalty for, which I'm still angry about ten years later. But I also remember that Panthers game when when he collided with the gluteus maximus of Jonathan Stewart. And that ended his career and the Packers until this last year never found anyone that could come close to bring in what Nick Collins brought to the table. This guy would have been and he he could have been Ed Reed level good. He he was so dynamic as a guy from Bethune Cookman that no one knew who he was when Ted Thompson drafted him, and yet he became one of the greatest states of the past decade. And and this this one, as you guys have said, one of your favorite players. It stings to know that his career was cut short because how how good he was. It, not only was he so good, he was just so much fun to watch. He flew everywhere. I feel like he was always playing at 110%. He, he played sideline side line to sideline, a true single high safety. Like you mentioned, Ed Reed. You know, there were guys before him, Sean Taylor, Ed Reed. Uh, but Nick Collins is the player that really made me fall in love with the safety position as a position on the field. I truly began to appreciate uh, good safety play. Um, and one, how, and also how much of an impact it can have on your entire defense. He, he was a true game changer, uh, momentum shift, a, a defensive motivator. Um, I, I don't know if the Packers have had a more impactful defensive player since Reggie White. Maybe Zadarius Smith is going to be a Maybe prime that. clay. Like Maybe. Prime, prime clay, like those years when like they had to send triple teams his way every play, like a chip block and a double team. I think that would be... Like Nick Collins, I'm I'm not disputing that. Right. I was just saying, like Prime Clay might be the only other argument yeah. for that. That maybe maybe Woodson, like maybe oh, Woodson. Woodson's I was like defensive player of the year. But, Woodson was pretty damn good. But listen to the names we're talking about right now. That's the impact yeah. that this guy had on the defense. It was yeah, insane. absolutely. So uh, I I could go on all day. So I will uh, I will buy to I will buy my time to Gage and he can kind of go on. 
That 2008 season's incredible. Seven picks, 295 return yards. Three touchdowns. That's just, that's nuts. This dude was everywhere. 15 pass deflections that season. This, this dude was crazy. He was literally everywhere. You could not, there was nowhere that was, so if you guys remember Jim Fredette, the basketball player? The, the, the whole joke was he didn't have just range. He had in the gym range. That's now, that's how Nick Collins was. You weren't throwing it anywhere on the field that he couldn't get to. He was, he could support in the run. He obviously was an elite pass defender. He was the perfect size to match up with like these mismatch guys. Like he was only 5'11, 207, but I always felt like he played much bigger than that. Like I didn't think he was only 5'11. I thought he was a, he always seemed to play taller. He's got long arms. I loved watching him play and just, it sucks seeing that because like we said, neck injuries are awful. They're freak things that happen. Like Jermichael Finley had other injuries that happened. Uh, Jonathan Franklin obviously only had one year, but like we go through these guys, other than Nick Collins who missed three games in the 20, 2007 season, he played and started 16 games every single year. And then those two get, and then he started two games, had a neck injury, and it was over after that. But the guy was on the field all the time, so you never had to worry about was he going to be healthy that week because he was all the time. So it's just. I don't know if I can say that they would have repeated that year, but I think that he would have gone a long way towards helping that cause. And one more thing about Nick Collins. I think the biggest thing, the biggest sensation that I get when I think about Nick Collins and watching Packers football during that time was security, was safety. No pun intended, but when he was on the field and the Packers needed a play, I felt comfortable and confident that they were going to get a play that he was going to make something happen to allow that team to win. And I think that's ultimately the biggest reason why he became who he was in not only Packers fandom, but in in the Packers history. He was, he's arguably the best if, considering what you consider uh, Charles Woodson as, but he's arguably the best safeties in Packers history. So it's just, it is what it is and it's sad, but man, when he was, when he was on, when he was playing, he was one of the best players and one of the funnest players to watch. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to safeties, I think he's number three. I think it's Willie Wood, Leroy Butler, and, and Nick Collins. I think those are the safe, and maybe Bobby Dillon. I think those are the safeties you think of when you think of the Packers. And you talk about the safety that he brought. Again, no pun intended. But him being back there and able to cover so much ground, even when he was dropping everything his first few years, he couldn't catch the ball if he tried. But the, him being there allowed Al Harris and Charles Woodson to play their style, to beat as physical corners because they knew. That if the guy got by him, you had Nick Collins back there to make a play, and and he made Charlie Pepper look uh, serviceable as a starter that Super Bowl season. Like, and again, it all comes back to that 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 Super Bowl pick, like the range he covered to go get that that ball, the the open field running, the lunge into the end zone, and the emotion in the end zone after the after the score, kind of encapsulated everything about him. And tell him with you, he's one of my favorite players to watch. It's it's weird anytime anyone wears number thirty six since he since he was forced to retire, and I remember when they gave it to him when he was drafted, there was talk about why would you give this unknown guy from Bethune Cookman Leroy Butler's number at safety? Yeah, he's got that expectation. He lived up to it, and and I I will maintain till the day I die that if he's healthy, that defense is not awful in twenty eleven, and and they repeat. I think he he was that important, and I think he would also 
if he if he hadn't re, if he was still playing, maybe not. But when he was retired, he would have had a, a gold jacket waiting for him. He he, I mean, it's it's that good. And he would have been my vote for number one on this list, even even over the name that we're going to get to, which is almost uh, unanimous except for I think probably me. But Nick Collins, come if you were healthy, man, that would have been so much fun. But now to the number one player who, if we could re redo or revive their career. If anyone's surprised that it's Sterling Sharp, why? <laughs> 88 to 94, 595 catches, over 8,000 yards in seven seasons, 65 touchdowns, five times in the Pro Bowl, three times all pro, led leading catches three times, touchdowns twice, yards once, College Football Hall of Fame, Packers Hall of Fame, Jersey retired from college, his own brother who's in the Hall of Fame said, I was the second best player in my own family. Like Sterling, I mean, we, we don't know what happened in the '96 season if Sharp is there because Favre did really full game, and if he's there, he's throwing it to him. It doesn't matter how many guys are there; it's going to be going to Sharp. But it's hard to not think of Sharp, Brooks, Freeman, and all those guys in '96 if if he's healthy. How crazy that offense is! Yeah, and you know. With him being in draft 88, I was born in 92, not to age a lot of our listeners or myself or anybody else, but it's, I, I didn't have the opportunity to really watch him live. And so everything I've had to see of Sterling Sharp, I haven't watched a ton of past players. And that's something that's actually on my list to do, but I, I digress. But I, Sterling Sharp is one of those players I've actually gone back and watched because I have been told you need to watch this guy. He was that good. He was going to be a Hall of Fame receiver. He was one of the most talented receivers that, and I've had people tell me this, uh, one of the most talented receivers I've ever seen. The production's there. I believe it. I go back and watch, and and, and he's unbelievable. Uh, some of the things that he can do, the, the athleticism that he provides, the explosiveness he provides. It, uh, Sterling Sharp, he'll, he'll forever go down as one of the Biggest what ifs in NFL history, and it's just so unfortunate. The, these neck injuries, the, the last three players, Jermichael Finley, Nick Collins, and now Sterling Sharp, and with a couple other guys we talked about, how quickly they can end a career. Uh, he hadn't had a ton of injuries prior, and he had one major injury, and his career's over. So it's just, it's just so crazy to think about, and the, the what ifs are just so real with, with, with a lot of these players, and especially with Sterling Sharp, who was clearly, clearly, clearly talented and could have been one of the greatest football players of all time. It's just crazy to see like the level of production that you're seeing out of this guy back then. In 1989, 1,423 receiving yards. That's that's considered a great number now. Like that's like if you hear a receiver like you hear Tyreek Hill comes down with 1,423 receiving yards next year, that's a really good number. You hear Devontae come at that. That's a great number. Nine catches, 12 touchdowns that year. That's a great year, and that wasn't even his best year. Like he had a year better than that. The guy was just incredible. He played, like you said, he didn't really have any injuries. He played 16 games every single year, started 16 games every year his entire career. And it was just similar to Nick Collins. It was one injury and it was, it was over. And, uh, Mike, you mentioned the, the Shannon Sharp when he was inducted. I'm, I'm in the Hall of Fame, but I'm not even the best player in my family. And that's, like, Shannon Sharp was outstanding in his own right, but, Sterling was on a truly tremendous pace, 595 catches through seven seasons. For reference, um, Calvin Johnson had 731 through nine seasons, so in two extra years he had 140 more catches. 
considering Sharp had, other than his rookie season, he had 67, 69 as lows, and then he had 90 or more in the other four years, he would have easily surpassed that. And Calvin Johnson is praised as one of the greatest receivers of all time. So, like you said, Tyler, Sharp was truly on the path of one of the greatest what-ifs of all time. Like, if he doesn't have that neck injury happen, and he's only 29, so he's still got a couple of prime years left, who knows what kind of numbers and he would have put up if with far throwing him the ball. And, and that's the point you make is right after he left, it was when Favre started his MVP runs, his three MVPs in a row. And to think of he, what he would have done having a weapon like Sterling Sharp is hard to even imagine what he could have done. And with with the whole Shannon Sharp quote, it reminds me of the uh, hockey quote from Joe Micheletti, who was a Minnesota hockey player. And, he, and Shannon made the similar thing, like, usually when you're in, a, in, the, in the pros, you're the best player in your state or in your town. I wasn't even the best player on my block, and with Shannon Sharp, I wasn't even the best player in my in in the same bedroom. Like Sterling was that good, and and you'll hear a lot of people. I know Aaron Negger is a big proponent of Sterling Sharp as the best receiver he's ever seen, and just what could have been with with Sterling. And you're right, he he was. They were sizing up that gold jacket in 1994 when when Tilly got hurt. They they had him ready to go. It was it was going to be his. He was going to break all, he was going to break the records. He was going to approach Jerry Rice. He was going to do all these things. And then just like that, it is over. And like with Nick Collins, you play every game every year and it's, and just like that, it's over. And, and it shows the fragility of, of, of sports in general. You see it in every sport, guys like that, though, that happens. If football is more upper body, other sports is more lower body, but it can, it shows how wide, why, why, and it also explains why some of these guys Hold off for more money. They want that safer contract. They want that stuff because any single pl- time on the field could be your last. And with these guys, with these twelve guys, it's it's the exact same thing. And so before we wrap up, we do have a few honorable mentions. Uh, uh, Tyler, I, I guess you were the first three, but Charles Woodson, Rogers, and Jordy Nelson. What what were your thoughts with those guys? Well, to be to be honest, the entire list was uh, actually numerical. Like I compiled the different votes from the thread. Um, and when we talk about Nick Collins and Sterling Sharp as one and two, it was more like one A and one B. I think ultimately it was like one vote separated the two guys. So it was really one A, one B for Sharp and Collins. Um, honorable mentions, uh, Charles Woodson was thrown in there. I think, um, people would want him to be in Green Bay sooner and stay in Green Bay longer. Um, I think that was the general consensus with Charles Woodson. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think getting him some more Super Bowls, uh, would be the, would be the idea there. But I mean, Aaron Rodgers is, is a Hall of Fame quarterback right now, um, and will continue to bolster that Hall of Fame resume. Uh, Jordy Nelson, um, I don't understand this one because he had a great career. Uh, it, not every single football player is going to be able to play into their 30s. But Jordy Nelson had a great Packers career. He's one of the pa- best wide receivers in Packers history, even though there's a lot of them. Uh, he's one of the most productive and one of the best in NFL history, or NFL, sorry, Packers history. Um, he had a great career, maybe just long, you know, making it longer, I guess would be the idea here. Um, and then I'll let you guys cover the couple that, or maybe I think Mike added these, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, those would been me. Before you get those, Gage, do you have any ones that you thought of? Um, I hadn't really thought of anybody. Uh, like this, the list we came up with. Uh, encompasses everybody that I can think of. Like, I can think of modern-day guys. Uh, like, Casey Hayward, I'm still pissed that we let him go. I just – it didn't make sense to me then. doesn't make sense to me now. 
still don't like it, but um, at least he's carved out a good career for himself. Uh, like, I think that one of the major things with Jordy is, like, because I know this was a Twitter poll, Jordy was loved on Twitter, um, and the, and he was effectively let go for Jimmy Graham. Like, that was the swap that was made. It was either Jimmy or Jordy, and they got Jimmy Graham, and Jimmy Graham has never lived up, and so it's always just like, oh, well, Jordy would have done this or would have done that, even though Jordy the year before had played 15 games, caught 53 balls for only 482 yards. He averaged 9.1 yards per catch, and his final Green Bay season. I get it. I get it. Jordy was had been here forever, had put up some great, great numbers, 1,519 yards, 98 catches, 97 catches another year. The moments, too. The moments, yeah, the, the moments were great. I get, I get that aspect of it. But at the same time, like you said, they're not they're not going to play forever. Like he, His final season in Green Bay, he was 32, played one more season in Oakland at age 33, but... And then he was, and he was done. It's not like they were. It's not like they moved on from him after like six seasons, and then he went on and played another six somewhere else. It's not like that. So I get it. I get what the whole fan part about it is. But at the same time, come on, you're not gonna. That's what's gonna happen. That's yeah. I remember the day he retired. I actually went to training camp that day, and it was such a big deal seeing him walking around not in uniform. It was it was kind of weird. Uh, another name I would add to this was uh, that because you brought Casey Hayward, I would say Mike McKenzie for me. Oh, I love Mike McKenzie. I was I was mad when he got traded. I was I was angry because I thought he was going to be the next great corner. But a couple names I had out of mentions, and this is more for older fans or people like me who love history and are nerds that way. Uh, Gail Gillingham, he was all of his line mates in this in the late sixties, early seventies said he was the best lineman they ever saw. And that he was on his way to being a Hall of Fame player. Kramer thought he was better than him. Fuzzy thought he was better. He actually replaced Fuzzy Thurston. But for some reason in 1972, Dan Devine moved him to defense. And he blew his knee out in the third, in the second game of the year. And that, that year they went to the play, that was the first year at Central Lombardi that they went to the playoffs. And it makes you wonder what they could have done if they had their best player on the field in the playoffs. When you had John Brockington running and you had weapons. But he ended up only playing a couple more years and was never the same. And so another reason to not like Dan Devine. And, and the last one, just just for the what-if scenario, is if Don Mikowski had never gotten hurt, what does this franchise look like? Hmm. Well, you know, T- Tony Mandarich, too, was playing on that offensive line. True. Just, just something to think about there. <laughs> so. True, but if, if the Magic Mullet had never had a shoulder injury, do we ever see Brett Favre? Nope. Too much. <clears throat> no, we don't see we don't see Brett Favre. Maybe you know, I don't know what kind of a career he has in Atlanta, but we don't we don't get to see Brett Favre, obviously. And I mean, his I, most notable completion in Atlanta was to himself. So, <laughs> you know, right. So we so we didn't have hardly anything from him. But without point. without Brett Favre, do we get Aaron Rodgers later out? Probably not, because of the way the the way that the career paths go on the on these teams and. Maybe the Packers are searching for a quarterback in the mid two, or the I'm sorry, the earlier 2000s before Aaron Rodgers comes out, and they have a guy. They don't draft Aaron Rodgers, you know. So maybe they get one of those like uh, those like O four like that O four class, or one of like or even the earlier 2000s guys. Peyton Manning. Maybe maybe they get Peyton Manning. What if this What if this Packers team gets Peyton Manning? So you know, different things to think about going down in the rabbit hole. But does anyone know the game Kittrick Taylor? If Dominicus. The name sounds familiar. I can't speak on it too much. First, first, first touchdown as a Packer game winner. Oh, okay. <laughs> after after Mikowski got hurt, but but it's nice. it's just but it's just a it's just an interesting thing to think about 
and and the the butterfly effect definitely comes into play into play during this. Well, that being said, we've been talking for a long time, so I think it's time for us to start to wind things down. So, Gage, we'll go to you first. Uh, where can people find you? What are you working on? You can find me on Twitter at gbridge for the NFL, as always. Uh, G B R I D G F O R D no E. Uh, NFL. Uh, right now I have a couple articles I'm working on for Rotoballer. That's fantasy football for those of you that don't know. Those will be coming out at the beginning of next week. Uh, I put out, uh, generally one to two articles a week for Denver Stiffs. It's Denver Nuggets, which obviously with basketball coming back, I actually have content to put out. So that's great. Uh, Dynasty Nerd stuff, always doing rankings and articles for them. Uh, Dynasty Draft Room, I'm doing some, uh, scouting stuff for them. So I'm keeping busy. Uh, always wanted to talk about sports of any kind. Um, I'll probably be watching hockey now that that's back, um, just because it's sports that's on TV and I need sports in my life. So, what about you, Tyler? Yeah, things are starting to ramp up for me as well. Dynasty Nerds has a lot of really cool things going on. They just put out the Dynasty GM tool. Go check that out for sure. Uh, it's a really great fantasy football tool to see how you're kind of comparing against your peers. Um, but go check that out. That's on DynastyNerds.com. And then also Game on Wisconsin. I'm sure you've seen them being promoted if you're on Packers Twitter. Uh, there's some really awesome things going on there. Um, the Check out Lombardi's Bar this upcoming week on Wednesday. There's a really special guest coming up on there. Um, you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, I'll be working Give us a teaser. Who is it? Give us, a, <laughs> give us a hint. Who is it? Who do we got? I'll try, okay. I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Uh all I can say is that I wouldn't want to snub them. So it's nice. Yes. So, you know, take that for what you will. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> take that for what you will, but make sure to tune into Lombardi's Bar for Game on Wisconsin on YouTube. Uh, subscribe over there and you won't miss that. Uh, that's on Wednesday. And then um, I will be starting to put out draft profiles for the 21 draft class. I can't believe I'm saying that. But with the uncertainty of college football coming up, we deemed it important to start putting out profiles. So we'll start doing that. And then there will also be some fantasy content over there as well, as well as some other really creative content. So make sure to check that out. Um, I think that covers it for now. But yeah, so uh, summer's definitely over for me. I'll start. I'm gonna start getting heavily involved in content again here soon. All right, and find me on Twitter at Mike Wendland. Um, still, so I'm still looking for work, so I'm still focusing on that more, getting back in the radio field. Uh, hopefully, that'll change in the next few days. Hopefully, but otherwise, uh, f- find us on Twitter as well at Packaday Podcast. Follow all of our great, all of our great colleagues and, and people there, and stay tuned tomorrow. Andy, our Godfather, Andy Herman's got a great podcast coming for that as well. And so, full Gage Richard and for Tyler Grizzly Court. This is Mike Wendland saying so long for now. Remember, everyone, stay safe. Always carry the G. You're ready for some Packer football. Enjoy Pack Go.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.